Hey, it's Greg. This is the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Shermco. Hey, everyone. This was a fun episode with Dr. Harry Williams from the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, um, which represents a number of public HBCUs across the country. And as it sounds um, from the title, does an, uh, a number of incredible things, but really focusing on providing um, scholarships to students attending HBCUs and supporting them along the way. And um, Dr. Williams is really an incredible leader. Uh, you'll learn more about him in this episode, of course, um, the different positions he's held in higher education, of course, what he's doing now to ensure the longevity and sustainability of HBCUs and the support of their students there at the same time. Of course, also covered some fun facts regarding his time um, at Appalachian State as a track runner um, and student athlete in college um, and a few other fun facts along the way. So we hope you enjoy and that this gives you more insight into the good work that he's doing and the work of the Third Grid Marshall College Fund. So where are you, Greg? Where are you physically? Yeah, physically in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, okay, cool. All right, yeah. so you're, you're right down the street from me. Mentally, who knows, but <laughs> been a good day today. Um, and remind me where you are again? I'm currently right now in Chapel Hill. Oh, cool, okay. But the office is? It's in D.C., yeah. DC. I was That's in D.C. I yeah, actually, I just got here. I was in D.C. yesterday. Over the weekend, I was there all weekend, and, and I was in the office yesterday and just and got here uh, this morning. I was going to ask if you were applying or interviewing for the Chapel Hill basketball job, but saw they just named <laughs> that. So you're a few days, a few days <laughs> late. Yeah, you know, you got to have the right uh, bloodline according to the, the, the people are cut, connected to the program. You got to have direct connection to Dean Smith. That's what I hear. <laughs> um, for better or worse, right? I mean, I think Huber's going to do a good job, of course, um, but I'm sure there were some uh, some questionable decisions maybe before Roy about if that was a good decision or not. Well, you know, I I I knew it. You know, from I'm a I'm a big big Carolina fan, so I yep. you know I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm from North Carolina, so I, I'm sure. a Dean Smith guy too. And so when when Williams went and got uh, Davis a couple years ago. And everybody started speculating then, and yep. and and the fact that I don't know if you watched Carolina basketball or not. Yep. But Davis was just like a, almost like a robot. Anytime Robert would do something, he would do it. If Robert take his glasses off, Davis would take his glasses <laughs> off. I mean, it's like a mimicry everything he was doing. He's right. <laughs> Best form of learning leadership is an intimate or imitation, right? Um, before you get there. right. Um, yeah, ironically enough, so I was, I was born in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and my dad was a Marine in Camp Lejeune. Okay, Camp Lejeune. Yep, but grew up in Ohio, in Toledo, and we had no good college basketball happening that much at the time. So leaned in in my Carolina birthplace so I could root for Chapel Hill since they were good every year. Yeah. Um, and proudly wore an Antoine Jameson jersey for probably two or three years longer than what I should have. <laughs> um, but definitely resonate with like early, late nineties, early two thousands, Tar Heel basketball. Oh yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So yeah, my wife went to NC state. Okay. 
They got I gotta that. be I gotta be careful about what I say. Well, they just got, they <laughs> got a chip on your shoulder. That's all. That's just got a chip. That's all it is. Yep. Yep. Right. Well, good, Harry. We appreciate you joining. We're gonna um kind of kick things off like you know we always like to hopefully start with uh, topics on a lighter note but i've been fortunate to be connected to you through the good man mr dewey norwood um yeah. i think he's had the pleasure of working with you all before and you know we always ask if we can find if anybody has dirt on dewey so i'm going to ask you that question <laughs> i'm i'm assuming you're going to say no because i'm over 17 with that question but not giving out hope so we'd love to maybe just hear how you and dewey know each other well, I tell you what, you know, if you're going to find some dirt, I want you to give it to me first because I've been searching for <laughs> a long time something on him. And, but I can't find anything because he is okay. squeaky clean. Uh, Dewey and I connected uh, through Wells Fargo and his uh, amazing work there and partnering with the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. And my very first meeting with Dewey was in the box at the uh, one of the basketball games for go. the uh, Charlotte um, I don't know, Hornets or Hornets? Charlotte. Uh, they keep changing. What's the what's the name now? Could have been Bobcats, Bobcats before that they had, and yep. uh, he came into the box and and I assume I thought he was a, a player to be honest with you because he was so tall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's never gonna let me live that down. Now <laughs> he got to you, didn't he? He got to you before today. <laughs> but yeah, that was how we got connected, and he's been he's been a great partner. Yeah, he's he's good people. Actually, the first time now that I think about it, I met him was at an East Mecklenburg High School basketball game. Okay, um, when we first connected, so glad uh, he used basketball to to get to both of us there. <laughs> yeah, but he he played baseball in in college though. That's right, was, proud yeah. UNCC 49er. Yeah, I think yeah. he was he was a right fielder. Yeah, um, yeah. Reminds me of a stats every time we go to lunch. I think he was like a 300 hitter, of course. Um, it was pretty good. It was, was pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. yeah. Last time we, a few years ago, we chatted. He just went back for the alumni game. Okay. Okay. And said he, of course, he went seven for seven with four home runs and three stolen bases. And everything he he didn't tell so, you they were that changed the pitch into underhanded. That's right. He didn't tell you that. They, they put home plate in center field and everything <laughs> was a lot closer. And Dr. Fauci was pitching. <laughs> That's good. That's a good way to bring it back. Um, all right, we'll leave Dewey alone for a minute, but we're going to come back to Wells Fargo. Um, but also know both you went to App State, if our professional stalking is right, and you also worked at App State and the connection yeah. here. Um, I have a younger brother that graduated and a sister-in-law that graduated from Boone oh, and App cool. State, so it's a special place in our family. Yeah. Um, so we'd love to just hear if you have any favorite parts about Boone, the town. Yeah, I tell you what, I, I went there as a freshman in 1982. Okay. Uh, and when I was there, I went there on a track scholarship and uh, that's what got me there. Cause I'm, I'm actually from, you said you were born in Camp Lejeune or Jacksonville. Yep. My uh, hometown is Greenville, North Carolina. So oh, yes. Eastern part of the state. That's and, right. and I was being recruited by East Carolina and Appalachian state. And I said to myself uh, and North Carolina A&T also was in the mix. Okay. Uh, and, but I picked, the mountains mainly because I was a distance runner and I had this wise man. Wise, wise man. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to train in the hills and, and cause I, cause my, my favorite runners were the Kenyan runners mm. and yep. I didn't recognize, I didn't realize that, you know, coming from Eastern North Carolina where the elevation is zero. Yep. And then you go to uh, the Western part of the state, the elevation is over 3000. Kenyan runners train at 9,000 feet. So there's a big difference right. yeah. in, in the elevation there. But um, but that was the, the motivation and uh, just had a great time up there. And 
one of the uh, I used to have favorite spots was actually several spots. You know, sure. we would go over to uh, Blower and Rock. Yep. Uh, to Moses Cone. There's a big, nice lake over there that, where we would train. Uh, that's a really nice place. And then Grandfather Mountain is another yep. very, very special place. And, and in Boone, there's a place called Howard's Knob. I don't know if you recall visiting, but Howard's Knob is the highest peak in okay. uh, Yaga yep. County. Sure. Uh, and when I, when I attended in 82, they had a windmill on the top of it. Uh, and that windmill was there as an experiment from from I, think, I believe one of the uh, uh, um, uh, NASA someone put it up there okay. to, to 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 test uh, for wind and and, and power and hmm. it was the world's tallest windmill. Wow! Uh, and so that's a uh, it's Howard's Knob and that's the top of and you could go up there and see the whole entire um, um, boom. And when I was a, freshman a hang glider actually went up there to the top and glided all the way down to the football field to start the football season off it was pretty cool well on purpose it sounds like yeah yeah he had the, he had the football yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad he made it that's an important job um that i mean it's minor question but that windmill is not still standing is it no 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 they took it down that's that you would have you would have seen it because the yeah, yeah. biggest thing i mean you know if you said you didn't get up to 2000 uh, they, yeah, they moved it. Um, I want to say late in the late nineties uh, uh, okay. when they transported it out. You can you can Google windmill in 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 Boone and it'll uh, it'll tell the story. That's great. And w w you ran mile. Yeah, I was a, I, yeah, I was a distance runner. I did okay. the uh, the mile and I ran cross country uh, and um, and track. And so that was my 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 claim to fame. Good. Good, 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 good for you. Are you still running today to keep in shape? Yeah, yeah. I just do just enough to keep the heart moving. I just try, I try to get up about uh, three to four miles, five days a week. There you go. Yeah. So uh, as my my son passed it on to him, he's a he's a junior at Howard University. Okay. And he's a distance runner. He's on the track oh. team there. He's on a cross uh, cross country and track team there at Howard. And so I, I get to watch him. That's great. Uh, yeah, well, um, already wildly off course, which is great the way we always plan these things, um, <laughs> but was also fortunate to play college sports and interested, going to be a biased question, but wondering how like your college athletic experience and lessons mm -hmm. learned there prepared yeah. you for life after. Oh, man, what you're talking about? That's yeah. a great question. Uh, the, the, I still, um, if you know anything about distance running, uh, running, did you, did you compete, Greg, yourself or any? Uh, football. So the football. farthest I ran was sideline to sideline, trying to tackle <laughs> cats who were carrying the ball. So I was wise enough to know I shouldn't be running miles, um, but kept it within the, the, the uh, yeah. 70 yards across the field. I got, I won't tell you what the football coach used to say to us when we were running uh, through, the, <laughs> through the football field. Yeah. As not, not known for running. manners, not known for yeah, manners. Yeah, I, I won't put this on the, on your podcast. Right. And I just, we just ignored the coach when we were, when we would go through there because, um, where we had fun, um, but yeah. So the the question about um, taking what you you you've been able to do from athletics and transferring it over, yep. I use it every day. Yep. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, one of the things about being a distance runner runner is all about discipline. It's all about uh, dedication and commitment, mm -hmm. and and it's about putting the the miles in. And if you're yeah. going to be a real good distance runner, you got to put the mileage in. And we were averaging 
anywhere from 85 to 100 miles a week. Oof. And you can imagine the, what goes into that type of preparation and, and, and commitment. Yep. And, and then you have to uh, wait for a long time to see if your time is going to drop. And yeah. so, and, and sometimes you may not get what you want and you just start all over again. And mm -hmm. that's what life is all about. You know, yep. having uh, goals, uh, setting big goals. I had, had big goals in, in high school and, and went on and continue to have those goals in, in college and would push myself. My goal was to, was to break the a four minute mile. That was, okay. my, you, know, you start dreaming like that. And yeah, and you dream big and it pushes you. Uh, I got up to 408. I was going to say, did you get there? No, I got to 408. I mean, that's, it, it, it was still, I was that's good. That's nothing to I sneeze mean, at. That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> but but it, but the, the point to that is 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 having big goals, right? Yep. And that's going to push you. And that translates over into life, uh, translates into your work. Uh, one of the things, you know, uh, when I started working at Appalachian, yep. Uh, having a vision to see what's possible mm -hmm. and then stretching yourself and then focusing and, and working hard to to achieve those goals. So that's what um, track uh, did for me in terms of putting a, a foundation in in place that kind of allowed me to think uh, really big, you know, and and then when you, you know, you transfer those over once reality hits as it relates to aging, aging, <laughs> and uh, and uh, your mind can be thinking one thing, but your body's going to tell you another. That's right. But, but recognizing that those skills can, are totally transferable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I co-sign all of that. I think so much to what you said. Um, just almost controlling what you can control. Right. Of just like getting up each day and doing your best and knowing yeah. whether it's in a race or maybe in a football game, like you're going to right. fall down or literally right. get pushed down and got to get back up and right. maybe in a professional sense, metaphorically as well. Um, but yeah, I think certainly without that athletic experience in my life, wouldn't have, don't think I'd have those experiences to call on um, right. to kind of help prepare me for what we're all trying to do today in a professional sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. One other point is, I mean, you know what it feels like when you win, you know, yeah. and winning is a good feeling. Amen and to that. you know Amen. that that's, that's in order to win, you got to work really hard at it. And you also know what it feels like to lose. That's right. and, and, and when you pick yourself up, you do it, you got to do it all over again. Yep. And, and that's in life, you know, you're going to, you're going to win some and you're going to lose some and you got to keep your head up throughout that whole journey uh, from that process. Yeah. And I know, you know, want to go too far down but we're already starting going off this exit so it's fine but you know um at least for me growing up when sports was just really the only thing and honestly should have been taking education more seriously which we can get to that in a minute um, <laughs> but like the worst thing in the world was like missing a tackle or losing a game because you spent so much time and then when it got into like teaching or the professional sense of course we're not losing jobs or that sort of stuff but there it felt like taking risks were easier Right. Because still in my naive 22, 23 year old mind, I wasn't getting laughed at by my friends or my dad wasn't seeing me miss a tackle, which was the most embarrassing thing right. in the world. Uh, but taking professional right. risk didn't feel as risky because I've been made fun of or you watch film messing up in football where I can mess up in the classroom teaching and I'm going to get better in front of the students. But it right. wasn't projected in front of all of my colleagues like a mistake is in, in football or in track and racing oh, yeah. or something else. Right. But Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we'd love to, I mean, transition that to, to your day to day, a pretty significant role in our country running the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. And, um, you know, 
going to ask you some baseline questions, but think it's important, even though folks can Google this, that we kind of be as clear and helpful to our listening audience as possible. Right. Um, I'm going to go into the day-to-day, I think, of what you do, but would love for you to just lift up who Thurgood Marshall is and the okay. significance of his work in our country. Yeah, yeah, great. And I appreciate that question. And, and you know, I get up every day excited about the work that, that we do here at the Thurgood Marshall College Fund because... Uh, we are actually carrying out the legacy of one of the greatest Supreme Court justices to ever live mm-hmm. uh, in this in this world, and 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 uh, and I'm excited about the fact that I get to say that I work at the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, and and Justice Marshall, uh, as I stated, uh, was a Supreme Court justice uh, who I, uh, actually attended two of our schools. Oh. Uh, uh, he went to Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, which is uh, the oldest HBCU in the country that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that actually started with the first undergraduate degree. Now, the mm-hmm. oldest school that started, but it was more like a high school, was Cheney University in 1837. Okay. But the first four year was at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania in 1854. Mm-hmm. And the, the um, and Thurgood Marshall attended that institution. Uh, and he graduated top of his class. Uh, and then after leaving Lincoln University, uh, he wanted to go to the University of Maryland actually to get his uh, law degree. But hmm. because of the, the laws in the, in the country that prohibited uh, African-Americans for, from attending HBC, historically white institutions, mm-hmm. uh, he ended up going to Howard University uh, Law School. Yep. Uh, and that's another one of our schools. Uh, and he graduated top of his class there. Our founder, Greg, actually went to the Supreme Court and met with Justice Marshall okay. and asked him if he would lend his name to this organization. Wow. Uh, our founder, uh, Dr. Ian Joyce Payne, uh, went there 34 years ago, and, and Justice Marshall um, persists towards graduation. Yep. And Justice Marshall, life was all about equity and equality and social justice and, and making sure that people had what they needed in order to be successful in this country. Right. And he clearly understood the importance of education. And by uh, saying yes, he gave Dr. Payne the rights and the privileges to use his name for likeness, to use for images, for mm-hmm. promotion and um and we've been able to raise almost a little over half a billion dollars by wow. using Justice Thurgood Marshall's name. And the great thing about it, he signed those rights over to us. He didn't ask for any royalty or anything to mm-hmm. that effect. It was all about giving back and, and what he could do. And we've been very fortunate to have his legacy to continue yep. because Justice Marshall uh, was known as Mr. Civil Rights, you know, right. and so that was, you know, so his legacy around social justice is just, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we um, here at the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, we get to be a part of that legacy every day. Yep. I appreciate that context and think it's it's so important, right? Because oftentimes we hear about titans in the space and sometimes we don't hear about people that we should. And we uh, hear names, not the context or the story behind it or how organizations like this came to be born. And so I just appreciate you offering that up because I think it's so important and easily overlooked in, in organizations uh, like many across the country. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I always like to provide that educational backdrop because I think it's important for for anybody, the audience, any, any organization, any um, 
group that I have not the privilege of speaking before because uh, his life was just that important right. uh, for so many people. And it's still important to a lot of people in terms of what he represents. And I know you know, we'll kind of love to continue down this path as well. You know, you're 47 uh, member of public schools, public HBCUs and PBIs, but you know, we love in, in a few sentences, what does the Thurgood Marshall College Fund do day to day? So yeah, just real high level, uh, we have three basic pillars. Uh, yep. the, the, the floor in terms of what we do, uh, provide scholarships. It started out as a, a scholarship organization primarily to give students uh, assistance uh, because they needed to persist towards graduation. Right. We serve a population of students that in a large percentage are first in their family to go to college. Uh, a large percentage of those uh, students that we serve have financial challenges to be able to stay in school. So scholarships, that's the floor. Sure. And then in addition to that, uh, we provide internship opportunities because we work with corporations to provide talented students uh, opportunities to work with some of the best Fortune uh, 500 companies in, in America. Yep. And so that's the pillar number number two is uh, internship talent uh, based uh, process of identifying uh, our students and, and connecting them with our employers. Our board is a corporate board. So we have a great deal of support from corporations. Right. And the third pillar uh, we focus on is advocacy. We're here in, in Washington, DC, and we focus uh, uh, clearly on the sustainability of these institutions. And by uh, working with members of Congress uh, and uh, Department of Education officials to make sure that funding continues right. uh, for these institutions uh, for forever. And yep. that's, that's a major, major part because we only represent 3% of all of the universities and colleges uh, in America. Is that right? So, wow. Yeah, HBCUs represent just 3%. And so that sometimes can, can people may say, well, why, why you need to put so much attention on the 3% sure. of, a, of, a, of a major, major part of the educational environment? A community and and the reason being is is the historical legacy yep. of these institutions and what they have been able to do for america and without hbcus there would be no middle class for blacks in this country it would be no black yep. middle class yep. uh, because hbcus is a foundation of of creating the black middle class and creating uh, all the professional jobs uh, from 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 uh, medical doctors and nurses to education all our schools have those professional programs and those institutions, those programs were able to help lift up the, the black community of when the white institution wouldn't allow them to attend. So that's, that's, right. that's a major part of our history. Yeah. And you know, this history better than I, so correct me, of course, if I'm wrong, but also fair to say it wasn't easy to open an HBCU when they were first originated. And also that um, it was, born out of a lack of options and access. And so these were African-American people in our country who were sought after and understood the importance of higher education and really did everything they could in their own power and community to tie their resources together to ensure these even existed. Cheney University up in, in, in Cheney, Pennsylvania. And that was before the end of slavery uh, cool. in terms of the creation. So it took a lot of uh, goodwill, a mm -hmm. lot of philanthropic supporters to, to recognize the importance. In 1837, it was illegal for a black person in this country to have an education uh, in terms of building these institutions up so that they could provide an uplift 
uh, in terms of uh, community members, specifically the African-American community. So yeah. yes. Yeah, incredibly important. Want to like pause there, but then go to um, another organization, albeit different, but I think this distinction is important that maybe the lay person doesn't know the quick difference between the Thurgood Marshall College Fund and the United Negro College Fund. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good, good. I get that question a lot. And and the, the simple answer, answer to that is that we're all HBCUs, yep. but the biggest difference is that one represent the public, meaning they get public support yep. from their states. And the other one represent UNCF, they have private institutions, meaning they don't get, uh, they get some of the states may give them uh, subsidies, a yep. little bit, but not at the level that they would get if you were a state uh, institution. So it's one is public, other private. And the 80%, this is something that's important, 80% of the students who attend historically black colleges and universities, they attend public HBCU. So the okay. biggest share of students attend the public that we represent, right. which is close to 300,000 students, uh, and 20% uh, 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 would attend the private HBCUs like Spelman yep. or Morehouse. Uh, those would be classified as private schools. Yep. So that's the big, big distinction. Yeah, I appreciate that you you clarifying that. I think it's so important. Also, again, sometimes overlooked. I taught in, in a Title I community for a long time. And I think if I, I didn't know, it's, it wasn't like in intro to teaching and higher education 101, maybe as it should be. And I think even if I asked my high school students who were largely black or African-American, I don't think they knew as well. So even just that distinction and understanding of how to navigate those, not any good or, or worse than either, but just right. understanding how those systems work are important. But the biggest, the biggest distinction I think is, 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 is cost. Mm. A private school will cost more yep. than a public because the public schools are subsidized by the state. That's right. And that's why the public, the students of that particular state get that benefit. Yep. And when you go to a private school, they don't have that, uh, that subsidy coming in from the state at that level. That's right. Yeah. And I want to kind of stick there as well, because what I've seen, I think from afar, and honestly, some um, events I've been to with Dewey that have put on through Wells, but also just kind of refreshing um, and researching what you all are doing. There's a good amount of collaboration and sharing and working together between public HBCUs and private HBCUs. I think largely because of your leadership and that of Dr. Lomax, um, but we'd love for you to speak to, to that as well and about why you guys choose to collaborate and work so closely together. Yeah. And I, and again, that's another good question because the general public, they don't, they don't know the distinction. When you say historically black colleges and universities, you don't think public, or private, you think yep. of HBCU. So my philosophy has been very clear that uh, the UNCF, I don't look at them as, as a competitor, yep. uh, look, at, look at them as a partner. And so we, we partner together. Michael has been very clear on that, uh, the importance of that. And when you can show a united front like that, mm -hmm. um, you can actually achieve more. Right. And that's evident because partners, when they come to us, uh, when they want to support HBCUs, uh, they will come and say, hey, we want to support you, but we also want to support uh, UNCF. And, yep. and I say I'm, I'm for that 100 percent because that's a that's a win win for everybody. Yeah, win win for everybody. 
I mean, I'm even curious too, Harry, from like your own leadership perspective, because again, as more professional stalking happened, the word kind of collaboration and networking came up a lot, I think is something you seem intentional about within the work of the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. So curious, even from your own individual leadership perspective, why, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but why is collaboration so important to you and the work the College Fund does with some of these incredible partnerships you've been able to build? Yeah, I, the, the collaboration part is so incredible because as you know, Greg, we can't do it all by ourselves, right? Yeah. So, and when we can work together and build on top of that, yep. that makes everybody strong. That makes yep. everybody aligned together. And when you're not collaborating, you're pulling against each other. And that takes energy. Yep. I would, you can actually get true. more energy. <laughs> yeah. You can get more energy uh, collaborating together and, and going in the same direction versus, hey, uh, taking your time and energy to, to fight against or put up roadblocks. And so anytime we can create an opportunity to partner with someone and to provide them with, with support in what they're trying to, to achieve and, and to achieve their goals, and we can do that too on our end, yep. uh, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. And, yeah. and to your point, yes, I have been very, very intentional about that, uh, mm -hmm. mainly because uh, this work is not about an individual, it's about the students uh, that we serve. And, and I always say this, that we are laying the foundational blocks, the, the, the building blocks for sustainability for students that haven't even been born. And yeah, so part of that vision is recognizing that the, the work is bigger than you or bigger mm -hmm. than a person because it's going to change the lives of so many people. So it's, it's important to have that, uh, that, that foundational yeah. block there. Yeah. And by having all the support around you, it just makes it even stronger. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's so refreshing, one, to hear that. And two, I, acknowledging it's not just words, but actions behind it, because you have a real budget and real people and real schools to be responsible for. But I think also what we've seen is like when that happens, you know, there's enough work to go around <laughs> as it comes to ensuring educational equity and high quality yep. outcomes and options for all students, particularly black and brown students. Um, but that you know, I think from the outside in, people could say, well, it's nice, but there's real budgets and limited amount of grant dollars and X, Y, and Z. But in, in, in our experience, I think what we've seen from you as well, um, whether it's funders, whether it's other schools, whether it's corporations, you know, they seem to be more appreciative of collaboration than an organization kind of being super tight, keeping everything in-house, not being willing yeah. to talk to somebody else, even yeah. though from like a competitive standpoint, that might initially make sense. But in this work, it just feels like the leaders and the organizations that are willing to collaborate and open source their resources and ideas and best practices, they know that almost like that karma is going to be there for them at the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and it's a win-win and that's, and that's, it's a win-win all, all, all the way because you're winning for your, your students and, and, and providing them with these incredible opportunities. And, uh, and then they can see that too. Uh, and you and I were talking earlier about um, uh, basketball and about the, the coaching situation. And, and, and one of the things you, met, you mentioned was the importance of, of, of uh, modeling that behavior that you want. Yep. And, and one of the things that you, know, you want to do is to model the right uh, behavior so that others who are watching you can see how it works from sure. that perspective. And, then that is, that, and that is very intentional. Yep. Yeah, I think it's so important, hopefully something that continues in, in your work, but also in other work in the 
corporate space and the philanthropic space, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned and the only results can be good for kids and communities and families across the country. Um, and we'd love to kind of transition, you know, a little bit of a, a hot off the press thing, but I, I know you spent time in, in Tennessee, I believe, and I spent some time in Tennessee as well with schools, but recently around TSU um, and potentially being awarded this, you know, close to $500 million of a land grant back. I know it's a little fresh and don't know how much you can or want to speak to it, but it feels pretty significant for a number of reasons. And if you feel comfortable, would love to hear your insights. Yeah. So, so what, what you're referencing is a, um, is a, a law that's been on the books when the 1890s were created, the 1890 institutions, um, they were created. Actually, the first land grant uh, was 1862 land grants, uh, and Abraham Lincoln uh, created this. He was, it was a visionary thing. Sure. Uh, Justice Morrell, um, uh, a senator from Vermont, actually uh, introduced the legislation, uh, 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 Lincoln pushed it through, and it was gonna be uh, funding to support uh, colleges and, and universities with skills and technical skills like right. engineering because recognizing that this country had to get back to work uh, at the end of the Civil War and, sure. and that they were gonna have to be some type of way of bringing people uh, back together and creating jobs. So they created the land grant colleges and universities called them 1862 land grants. And, but what they didn't do uh, was that they, they made a decision after the end of the Civil War, after creating land grants, that blacks did not have, former slaves did not have the, the right to attend these. So Congress went back in and then they introduced what they call the 1890 Land Grant Act, which is the second Justice Morrell Act. Mm -hmm. And part of the Land Grant Act, and this is just, I'm just gonna be real quick on this, but part of the yeah, Land please. Grant uh, Bill is that the states would get, so the federal government would provide uh, funding right. for the land. Yep. Uh, like in, in Ohio, Ohio State would be the land grant. Uh, institution Go Bucks. or Go Bucks. Uh, Penn State. Huh? <laughs> Penn State. Anytime somebody says Ohio State from Ohio, you have to say Go Bucks or you get extradited from Ohio. So I just had to I make sure you. I could keep I my Ohio you. card. Well, go ahead. Sorry. So, so it's a big, big land grant, great sure. land grant uh, school. And so um, the federal government would give the money and then the state would do what they call a dollar for dollar match. So yep. whatever the state, whatever the, the school would get from the federal government, the state was required to match that because that's the benefit of having that big land grant in your state. So that's was that's that's in the law. Yep. So when they when they when they uh, created the 1890s, the federal government uh, appropriated the dollars for the 1890s, yep. and the same land grant dollar for dollar match applied to the to the to the states, but they didn't do it, and so and, and because it was an option. Uh, for them. Uh, and also, yeah. yes, so they didn't, they didn't, they didn't do it. So what you're referencing right now uh, was historic uh, with uh, Tennessee state where they went back and to be honest, which I think is more than $500 million. That's going to be an next question. I'm wondering who, who the accountant <laughs> was in that math and like taking into inflation and a few other right, dollar right, figures of how right. they landed on that number, but nonetheless, so that, nonetheless. So, yeah. they, so they're going to, they, so there's potentially, uh, they will get uh, this, it's almost back payment right. uh, for that the state was supposed to provide. And so there are 19 of those land grant institutions 
uh, HBCUs now, including Tennessee State, and most of the land grant institutions are in the South, like mm -hmm. in North Carolina. Yep. North Carolina A and T is the land grant for the HBCU, and North Carolina State is the big, big, big uh, state of uh, land grant school. Right. Uh, same thing in South Carolina. You have Clemson is the land grant, and then you got South Carolina State. Mm -hmm. is the uh, 1890. So most of the Southern states will have a land grant college. So uh, we're hoping that this could be a trend yep. uh, that could potentially uh, help solve some challenges uh, that in, for these institutions in terms of, you know, having endowments. Can sure. you imagine uh, getting yep. $555 million and putting it in an endowment and what that would do for the sustainability of your, organ, of your institution? So those sure. are the things that I think is important. So I'm glad you raised that question, uh, Greg, because it's a it's a complex issue. Sure. Uh, but you you uh, but once you kind of get down to the nitty gritty of it, you recognize that there's some some inequities that that that, that took place there, and um, and some states got some 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 makeup to do. Uh, That's right. From that. Yeah, and surely that money is deserved by those universities, if not more, as you said. But yeah, to your point, a, a seminal case that if it goes, I think the way probably you and I want it to go, a landmark case to be a leader for those other states and those other universities in those states are well, which is really important. Right, right. And it would be other state legislators, you know, you know, states are independent now. Okay. Yep. So, uh, and, and some of them will follow the lead of others and some of them will just <laughs> right, say right. they don't, they don't know what they're doing, very, but yep. it could, it's, this is a first, this is historic. And a bit of a lighter question, but there's a rumor going around you are responsible for recruiting Eddie George to be the head coach at TSU. <laughs> Can you confirm or deny that? I would deny that every single day <laughs> of the week. Uh, I think uh, I, it's exciting. I, you know, I was talking to the president of Jackson State. President you guys, I mean, Dion and, and yeah, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you guys are going to start having powerhouses here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. So I was telling him, I said, it's, it, it looks like uh, Tennessee State taking uh, your playbook. And bringing in a former NFL superstar to, to run their program, and uh, see, and and Jackson State's actually been getting a lot of press for that. And yeah. prime time, everybody, the, the the president was telling me whenever they play prime time, it's like a Super Bowl sure. uh, for for the school. So I think it's good for HBCUs to have these prominent uh, former NFL players who are taking their skills and talents back to the HBCU world. That's right. So that's pretty exciting. Well, and also, you know. You know, Dion is Dion, but they're also winning. I think they've only lost one game and they're playing well. Um, yep. And so, you know, it's one thing to get people to the stands and excited, but um, they're playing well. They're playing good football. Yeah, considering, you know, that this is his first college coaching uh, gig. So That's it's right. pretty, pretty impressive. And, and there's a lot of pressure around it, too. The one thing that I'm impressed about, his son is going to, going to uh, play there and yep. his other son is going to transfer and play there. So that's, that's great. Yeah, definitely around putting your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, we got to get you out of here. It's all, you know, man, it could talk to you for a long time. We want to get you out with a few, hopefully, quick questions. Um, 60 seconds or less, what's the future of the Thurgood Marshall College Fund? Future of Thurgood Marshall College Fund is to continue to do exactly what we're doing now and scaling it to make it even bigger. Uh, meaning sure. that impacting more students and providing more opportunities for our students than we've ever done in our whole entire career. I'm very optimistic about the future. I'm optimistic yep. about our partners and how big this is going to be as it relates to providing scholarships and internships to impact the 300,000 students that we serve.
And what did you say was your favorite public HBCU? Favorite public HBCU. I don't know if I can go on the record uh, on the air to say that. Only joking. Only joking. That's right. All 47. Uh, good man. Good man. Um, most innovative thing you're seeing happening in higher education right now, whether it's HBCUs or just higher ed in general? Well, you know, this this free tuition stuff is going to get some traction here. I think okay. the free, you're going to start with the community colleges first. Yep. And I know Bernie Sanders put it out there yep. when he was running and and the current administration, they're focusing in on, on doing free tuition for uh, community colleges. Uh, some private schools have already said that it, they put a, a, a income threshold yep. uh, that families are making uh, and they will provide the, the tuition for those families if they make a certain amount of money. So I see that. Uh, I'm hoping that'll pick up steam, but that free tuition is something that's that's pretty uh, innovative right now. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And also just, of course, that's directly tied to like the student loan debt and crisis and then graduates coming out and hopefully securing employment. But if not, you know, just the type of financial burden that puts on them as young people getting into the world and to think about the, the positive ramifications of that, to your point, incredibly right. innovative. Right, right. Um, last question. What does square pizza remind you of? I tell you, it reminds me of a of a of a, a program that is that is very exciting and interesting and innovative, uh, <laughs> and bringing bringing different perspectives and different viewpoints in a very open environment. You know, and that's that's what I appreciate. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't know what to expect today. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate so, you taking a risk. I appreciate yeah, yeah, you taking yeah. a risk. But that's, you learned that in athletics. You know, you really took that risk, uh, and and I'm and I'm glad I did. And my um, uh, director of communication, Siobhan, um, told me that you need to get on it and do it. And I said, okay, it's done. Uh, so I'm excited about it, and uh, just impressed with the whole uh, podcast. So thank you for having me. No, it's our pleasure. Thanks um, for the work, Mr. Williams. All you're doing, I'm um, really appreciate appreciate you taking time, and also continued best of luck for the future. Thank you so much and same to you. Thanks so much for checking out the Square Pizza Pod, making a few selfish requests. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the podcast and share this with a friend. We appreciate it. Thanks.